Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A bit of a surprising ruling, at least to some of us, out of the Ohio Supreme Court yesterday. It's the top story on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Tassi. And let's get to it. Many of us paid income taxes to cities where we did not work for most of 2020 as the pandemic began, leading to a lawsuit claiming that taxation was unlawful. Layla, what does the Ohio Supreme Court say? The court sided with the cities that collected that big pile of money from commuters who ended up working from home instead. The court ruled in a 5-2 decision that what the cities did was constitutional. The, the, this was a case that was brought by the conservative advocacy organization, the Buckeye Institute, on behalf of a Cincinnati area man. The organization also filed similar suits in Cuyahoga and uh, Summit counties. It's unclear how this ruling is going to affect those other cases or, or whether Buckeye Institute is going to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. All of that's still to be determined. But basically, the court found that the U.S. Constitution doesn't affect states' ability to set tax policy within their own state lines. They also ruled that existing state law allows the legislature to set taxation powers and limits for municipalities, and that lawmakers had a rational basis for passing the law, which meets the the legal standard for establishing a basic taxing relationship. That rational basis was to prevent cities from going belly up on account of the sudden shift to remote work. Republican Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy and Republican Justice Pat Fisher dissented. Kennedy made what I think is kind of a bit of an unorthodox argument for the court here. They said that the law amounted to forcing cities to tax former commuters in violation of cities' home rule powers, which I was like, huh, it's an interesting time to, <laughs> <laughs> to start caring about the home rule <laughs> authority. But they also argued that even though the U.S. Supreme Court hasn't made any ruling dealing with municipal taxing powers, other rulings have dealt with due process protections. And and even the Declaration of Independence and other documents like that raise those concerns. Lisa, you uh, said before we started that you agreed with this ruling. I do. And of course, you know, in, in Houston, we didn't have RITA, you know, Regional Income Taxing Authority. Um, so this is very new to me. But these people, they were working from home, but their employer was based downtown. So I, I and, and do you really want Cleveland to lose tens to hundreds of millions of dollars? I mean, no. Well, I, I will counter that by saying that currently, you know, we, we in our, for example, our our uh, company, we work a hybrid schedule and they we do withholdings for the days that we're working from home. They, you know, withhold for our home towns. And when we work in our home base or in our, our, our office, they withhold for that city. So the law has eventually landed on the right solution to this. And that suggests that back then they should have been they should have been letting the cities keep the money where the people were doing the work. Well, right. 
That's the point. Uh, well, actually, I mean, I, I have thoughts about this, as as you might expect. But I think according to the way the legislator op- legislature operated, they changed the law starting in 2021. They did not pass the law affecting 2020. And I think that's what the Supreme Court is dealing with. My problem with this is it should have never been in state court to begin with. I saw this as a Fourth Amendment violation, an unreasonable and illegal seizure of assets. It, it, the, by this logic, anybody, if the legislature passes it, can reach over and tap you for money. So Cincinnati could, could if the legislature passed the law saying, you know what, if you live in Cleveland, Cincinnati can tax your income, you could do it. By, the, by, the, by this ruling, that could happen, which is preposterous, right? Because we don't work in Cincinnati. We don't live anywhere near there. The idea that the cities would have been shafted by this, oh, well, we all got shafted by the pandemic. It was a horrible period, increased alcoholism, increased all sorts of mental health issues. Cities also had to struggle with the reality. But why should I, who didn't step foot in the city of Cleveland after March of 2020, pay them a penny because they provided zero services to me? I think that's an unreasonable- Except a paycheck. Yeah. I I (laughs) think- they they didn't provide me a paycheck. What are you talking about? Well, I about? mean, your employer. My employer wasn't there. I mean, they, they, mm. they, they, they weren't there. I didn't step foot. The whole idea of municipal income tax is you get taxed where you worked. I, I, I can't believe that the Buckeye Association didn't go to federal court because I think this is a much clearer issue. I don't believe you should be able to tax people for something that, that, that they have nothing to do with. I mean, I was not in Cleveland. The point is that you, if you are a commuter and you spend 40 hours or 50 hours a week, you're using the roads. You could be using the EMS services. You're using the water, right? And therefore, mm-hmm. they have a right to tax you. I, I don't think it's pretty common in other states that you are dealing with this very complicated system where you're paying your right. home municipality and you're paying right. your city the where you're working. But the fact is we weren't using any of those services at all. And and you, I think Chris is right. And like everybody was hurt, right? And the city's got tons of ARPA money. We're still talking about the ARPA money they're trying to spend on pickleball facilities for private investors. And that was supposed to make up for part of it. it I don't think that you should have been hurting the people who were working from home. That's a good point. That's a good point. But ARPA is one-time the, the, money. Big, it's one-time money. And, here so, and is, so is 2020 yeah, income tax. Lisa, that is also one-time that's money. That's true. I don't have an obligation to bail Cleveland out. I don't live in Cleveland, and I didn't work in Cleveland. Cleveland is on its own during that period. I, I'm not responsible for that. I'm re- responsible for the city where I live. I do see what Lisa's saying, that you, you want a strong don- downtown core. We all do. But that's why we should talk about regional government and sharing mm-hmm. of assets. Well, mm-hmm. I get back to Lee Weingart's proposal that mm-hmm. we create a countywide income tax that's divided the right way, and then we wouldn't be talking about any of this. Our problems repeatedly come back to the balkanization of this region. Cuyahoga County should be one city, the city of Cleveland. None of this would be a problem then. And here, the here. city would be healthier because we wouldn't have the have and have nots like we do today. The Cleveland schools are in really bad shape right now financially because of this balkanization. And we should be fixing that. But every every mayor, every police chief wants theirs. They don't want to give up their authority. And so we have constant fighting against the common sense move to a regional form of government. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
I, I should mention before we move on, we talked earlier this week that Mike DeWine had never shown contrition about appointing Sam Randazzo as the uh, the uh, the Utilities Commission chair. He actually showed that contrition yesterday. I bet he listens to this podcast. <laughs> the intrigue over who controls the Ohio Republican caucus budget thinned out a bit Wednesday with a court ruling on whether Speaker Jason Stevens is in charge. The guy who fought Stevens for the job battled to take that money over. Lisa, what is the verdict? Franklin County Common Pleas Judge Mark Surratt denied a request to block Speaker Jason Stevens' access to that GOP campaign fund. Um, the House GOP faction led by Derek Marin, who failed to get the House Speaker uh, position. They were the ones who were trying to uh, get this money. Um, Marin, Ron Ferguson of Jefferson County, and Phil Plummer of Dayton wanted a temporary restraining order to keep that $3 million in the account of the Ohio House Republican Alliance from Stevens and his allies. They wanted it frozen pending the outcome of a lawsuit that was filed by Columbus Real Estate Firm. That firm is suing OHRA over a broken $1.6 million lease of a floor in the Chase Tower building in downtown Columbus by Larry Householder, but he never got to use it because he got arrested soon after. Jeff Luray, who's the Republican from Fairfield County, says they were focused, they are focused on protecting incumbents and defending conservative values. He says this decision allows them to continue business as usual. It's amazing how much effort's being made to undermine Jason Stevens. It's they're coming at him from all directions, and it's part of this bizarre cabal. I mean, Derek Marin is running for a different office now, so he's not even going to be around. I don't know why he cares still mm -hmm. about what happens to this money for the next 10 months. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's look forward to the next speakership battle. We know that Senate President Matt Huffman, who is term limited, plans to run for the House and immediately take it over. He's running candidates against House members who support Stevens. Laura, how are Stevens supporters maneuvering to defeat Huffman's strategy? Well, like Lisa mentioned, they are throwing a whole lot of money at it. $743,000 TV ad blitz to help six of Stevens' favorite candidates. And that's to fend off the primary challengers. Because as we know, in this gerrymandered state, who wins the primary often means who's going to win the general election. So they began airing ha the ads on Friday around the states. And this is the OHRA, the Ohio House Republican Alliance. There's two weeks of ads that cost about $300,000 and then a bunch more ad time reserved. And obviously, this is about the fight for the House speakership, because if Huffman can get his people in, then Stevens will probably lose it. And it, it's such an internal battle, but it's the voters who are having to watch these ads, which are apparently pretty dirty and then having to decide. And the reason that this account has so much money to spend is that Stevens and his allies stuffed this account with large money transfers late in January. So on the final days of January, Stevens' campaign gave gave the group $750,000. The House Finance Committee Chair Jay Edwards contributed $400,000. And a bunch of other people kicked in anywhere from $30,000 to $100,000. So they have a whole lot of money to keep their power. Is there no other House member that's been in the House for a while that wants to be Speaker? Are they all just sheep that are going to bow to Matt Huffman? 
He's not in the House. It's amazing to me that he hasn't even been elected to the House yet. And there's this belief that he's it's a fait accompli, that he can walk in and take the speakership. What is wrong with these House members? Don't they have any pride? Don't they look among their members and think that there's somebody that's already doing the work that might be a better leader than the outside guy who's not part of their organization? All I can think is they're terrified of him. And it, it just makes you wonder. I mean, we had a House Speaker, Larry Householder, who's away for 20 years because of the way he manipulated money and power and politics. And you'd think they'd learn something from that and be like, let's just elect the best person for the job, not the person who can move the most money around. Yeah, I just don't get it. I, I mean, this is a battle between Stevens and Huffman, but it really does make me wonder about the quality of the people in the House that none of them have the thought that, well, maybe I should do it. Maybe I should build something up. And the outsider is racing into the position. It's a great battle. It's a great political intrigue. It's fun to talk about, but I just don't get why Huffman is the guy. And then you have the campaign, the candidates themselves, right? So each one is clearly aligned with either Stevens or Huffman. So you know they're never going to vote their own way. They're never going to vote their conscience because they're going to owe their job to the guy in charge. And th- but Huffman has been a nightmare. He has been yeah. nothing but bad news. The, the, the Senate continuously gets portrayed poorly. He led people down the, the path to the August issue one, which was a huge embarrassment for Huffman and Frank LaRose. I mean, they tried to pull the wool over the entire state's eyes and the state stuffed them. And Matt Huffman was the key. Why, if you're in the House, would you want to bring that shame into your body? You would think they would be galvanizing to say, no way, bud. You want to be in here? You'll be a rookie. You'll be a freshman House member and you'll get your little committee memberships like everybody else. And that's why when you say term limits, people think, oh, term limits are good because then we get fresh blood in it. No, what it means is you have these guys like Matt Huffman who just bounce back and forth between chambers and, you know, Make sure everybody lines up behind them wherever they go. (laughs) I just don't know why they'd vote for him. He's been a nightmare. You would think they'd want to be free of that. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Layla, I'm betting the words female orgasmic difficulty disorder have never appeared on a Cleveland.com headline before yesterday. Why is the State Medical Board of Ohio looking at that disorder along with autism? Well, that's because a committee of the state medical board voted this week to seek expert opinions on whether medical marijuana can help patients with that specific condition, as well as patients with autism spectrum disorder. Experts from the medical and scholarly fields will be providing information that will inform the full board on whether to add either of those two conditions to the list of the 26 that qualify people for the medical marijuana card in Ohio. The full board is expected to make a decision on that in the summer. Each year, people can submit petitions for new conditions for the board to consider adding to the list. Female orgasmic difficulty disorder came through that process. It was submitted by Suzanne Mulvihill of Florida. She's the executive director of the Female Orgasm Research Institute. And the three physicians on the medical board who sit on its medical marijuana committee took it up. The petition was 280 pages. It included research and medical journal articles from the early 70s through 2023. And the petition says that this disorder is one of the most prevalent sexual dysfunctions in women. It affects up to 41% of women worldwide. And there seems to be a strong connection with this disorder and mental health diagnoses and trauma. Yeah, it's it's interesting how we keep having additional 
disorders and illnesses brought to the board for this, although autism has been considered multiple times and rejected. So it'd be interesting to see if they accept it this time. Yeah. I wonder what what additional information um, in that particular part of their review, you know, what what new information comes forward that that might turn the tide? I mean, obviously, if they're taking it up for consideration again after rejecting it in the past, they must be looking at some new new data, new research. Well, you'd, it's, uh, you'd it's think there'd be studies that show that it somehow helps that that people with an autism disorder, if they use the THC in marijuana products, somehow fare better. Uh, but because research on marijuana has been so limited mm-hmm. by the federal government for years, who knows how much research is available. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Here's a good news story. We talked recently about how many direct flights Cleveland lost when the United Hub closed a decade ago. That number suddenly is racing back up with Frontier's announcement Wednesday of a big expansion at Cleveland Hopkins. Lisa, what are the new direct destinations? Yeah, Frontier is adding 10 new nonstop service destinations from Hopkins beginning in May. They include Bush Intercontinental Airport in Houston, Austin, Texas, Pensacola and Jacksonville in Florida, Charleston and Myrtle Beach in South Carolina, New Orleans, Savannah, Georgia, Salt Lake City, and Baltimore, Maryland. This joins previously announced nonstop service to New York's LaGuardia Airport and also to Minneapolis. So Frontier now offers 30 destinations from Hopkins. They're expecting a 38% increase in peak summer daily departures with these new flights. They also are offering more nonstops from Hopkins than any other airline. But I will say that these services are not daily. They will be four times a week to Houston, New Orleans, Jacksonville, and Charleston, and three times a week to the other new cities. We have all the days listed on cleveland.com. Frontier CEO Barry Biffle says this is great news, and he says that hiring for that new Cleveland Frontier crew base is going really well. They say that some employees from other cities will be relocating to Cleveland, but they're still hiring. They hope to be fully staffed by May with 110 pilots, 250 flight attendants, and 50 aircraft maintenance workers. Yeah, we talked when they announced they were putting that crew here that it could make a big difference, and it already is. I do want to question the timing, though. Who announces the flight to New Orleans on the first day of Lent? You would think <laughs> they would have announced that six weeks ago and taken advantage of the Mardi Gras, uh, but maybe for next year. Very cool that we're getting the direct flights. They're not really business flights. That the, the business community still misses what they had with United But for the leisure travelers who are really using that airport now more than anybody, what a great, what a great situation. It really is, because I know that flying from Cleveland, a lot of times you have to stop in Charlotte or Phoenix, depending on how far you go. I I hate, you know, I love nonstop flights. So if I have more options, that's great. Yeah, flying through Charlotte, Atlanta, and Chicago is always a nightmare, right? I mean, those hubs are pain. The last time I had to, I flew to Salt Lake City, I flew through Phoenix. So yeah. this is very welcome news. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good news. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, how did Ohio's U.S. House delegation vote on the move to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas? Well, they all voted for it. Uh, Mayorkas is the nation's first cabinet secretary to be impeached by the House in more than 100 years. But this is likely to die in the Senate because Democrats control the chamber there. All the Democrats in the House opposed this, but all the House Republicans from Ohio voted for the impeachment. The only Republicans actually who voted against it were one from Michigan, one from Colorado, and one from California. 
Dave Joyce of South Russell, he chairs the House Appropriation Committee's Homeland Security Subcommittee, said he, that the number of border encounters in the 23 fiscal year rose 100 percent from 2019. That's when Trump was in charge, of course. And Max Miller said he didn't take this. He did take this very seriously and that it follows a thorough year long investigation. Other people said, you know, the Democrats said this is a witch hunt and totally unnecessary. It's a sad state of affairs. There were legitimate efforts to impeach Donald Trump. He's a criminal. He did terrible things. And the Republicans have decided that there has to be quid pro quo. So they're using impeachment now as just a another arrow in the quiver instead of the very important thing it is. This is stupid. We shouldn't be having impeachment proceedings for an administration official, there should be an acknowledgement that the impeachment proceedings in Donald Trump could not have been more legitimate. Yeah, I I agree. It feels like, you know, how there were so few impeachments for like hundreds of years. And then we've really just racked them up in recent years. It's a it's sad. And, and look, the impeachment of Bill Clinton was also a legitimate. Uh, he lied to America and they wanted to consider it. So it's I mean, we in the past, we've used it for for things that merited close review, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's just, this is the Jim Jordan era of the of politics. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland has big events coming up with the NCAA Women's Final Four and the Eclipse, but hotel workers are in short supply with all those people coming here. Lisa, how is the hospitality industry working to change that? They're actually joining together. As you know, hotels and hospitality industry can be very competitive, but they are joining together in a regional hiring event that will take place from 1 to 6 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd. So that's a week from today um, at the down, at the uh, Huntington Convention Center. Joining in this event is the Downtown Hilton, the Downtown Marriott, Intercontinental Cleveland, Jack Casino, the Cleveland Guardians, among others. Uh, we talked to General Manager of the Hilton Downtown, Tammy LeBlanc, She says she thinks this is probably the first time competing hotels have joined in a hiring event. The industry is still recovering from the pandemic, but tourism officials are expecting occupancy rates to return to pre-pandemic levels this year. As you said, Chris, we've got the NCAA Women's Final Four, the Solar Eclipse, the Rock Hall induction is taking place in Cleveland this year in the fall, and also the Pan American Masters Games. And LeBlanc says Hilton is actually down about 60 workers right now, Across multiple areas, including you know room attendance, security in the in the kitchen, and also in accounting. So yeah, to, uh, hopefully yeah, because we're going to need these people. We've got a lot of guests coming. But what do you do if there are no applicants? You can hold all the job fairs you want, but if there aren't people actually looking for jobs, how do how do you fill the positions? This is a tough time because there aren't enough workers to go around. These are and these are not the greatest jobs in the world, so people have choices. That's true, but I think, you know, if I had a choice between a McDonald's and working at a hotel, I'd probably pick the hotel. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how many applicants they do draw. Well, and it might be that they have to raise the pay, which, of course, raises the room rates. But they, the, maybe the way you get people to fill these positions is to give them a better wage. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Layla, today's today's one of people's least favorite days of the year. Why is that and what do we know about it? <laughs> it's uh it's property tax bill due date today. Uh the county had, you know, extended the due date for taxpayers. And we received this complaint uh this week 
from one taxpayer in Beechwood. He said he hadn't received a bill until he called them last week. Then he got two bills the same day, one marked duplicate, but neither had the same total. One was $15 more than what it said on the website. So he called for an answer. He was put on hold for a half hour and then gave up and decided he's just going to pay the higher amount. The next day, he got that letter extending the payment deadline until today. He said his next door neighbor got two different totals as well. So we're looking into this. But we would love to hear from anyone else out there who's experienced troubles with the uh, the system this tax season. So if you have a story to share, send it you can to, call Chris Quinn on no, his personal no, cell phone. You'll send it to Laura Johnston <laughs> at Johnston at cleveland.com. I thought you were joking about no, that. No, <laughs> I was not joking about that. It's your turn to get flooded with email. L. Laura, I, try, Johnston I tried to put it on Chris here. At cleveland.com. Um, the, 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 that case sounds ridiculous because the the way tax bills work, they get rates from the state, they put them out there. It, it's very simple to have two rates and to be told that they're, they're, they're not static, that tax bills change. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, the pre- kind of the early answer we've gotten from the county so far is that the tax bills are a snapshot <laughs> and that adjustments happen throughout the year and that that's normal. Yeah. But that flies in the face of everything I've ever known to be true about how tax bills are calculated. I mean, it's value, property value and tax rate. Like you it's said, not like a water bill yeah. where every day your usage changes how much you <laughs> might owe. I mean, I, I don't get it. There's nothing really in flux here. Yeah. I've, so we're going to. Before find we changed out. government, the tax bills worked perfectly. We never had a problem. Since we changed our government, it's been a nightmare. Every year we just marvel at why can't we handle this basic, basic service of county government? And to, to get an explanation that your tax bill is a snapshot in time, it's, they're just making stuff up at that point. They must be having a good time down at the county building. Hey, hey, I got a guy asking a question. Let, let's roll out a, a preposterous excuse and I'll laugh at his expense. Yeah. So please, if you're having similar troubles, let us know. We'd love to pile on. And L. Johnston <laughs> at Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. While we're on the topic of property taxes, Laura, let's talk about the six places that have the highest rates in all of Ohio. And I hate to say it, I live in one of them. And I used to live in one. And that is why I moved out. One of the the reasons. But based on 2023 property taxes being used for the bills due right now, um, actually, I I think it's it's July. Um, Those properties in the Shaker Square area of Cleveland is the top in the state. And that has been like that for years because it's Shaker Heights schools, but Cleveland, everything else. And there for every $100,000 of property value, you're being charged $3,989. That's an increase of $131 from the year before. And then after that, if you're just in the regular part of Shaker Heights, you're going to be at 3904 There's a small part of South Euclid and Cleveland Heights University Heights School System. That's 3890 Then you get University Heights. Then you get Cleveland Heights. Then you get Garfield Heights. I believe all of those have heights in them. Yeah, the rates are high here. It's, uh, it's kind of staggering how much money we pay. But if we all had one city, it would equalize, I suspect. Anyway, it's uh, the day to pay the bills in Cuyahoga County. They have different days in other counties, and some of them have the wrong dates on their website. So you got to work a little bit to figure it out. But it's, it is Cuyahoga County is high. I mean, 21 of the 26 districts in the state that have tax rates above $2,800 for every 
$100,000 in tax value are in Cuyahoga County. And then the rounding out that is Lucas has two, Montgomery has two, and one in Washington County. So none of those are in Franklin County, which obviously biggest um, county in the state. So we, we we have the market cornered on high property taxes. Well, I pay high income tax too. Yeah. Lisa? Yeah, I wasn't in the, you know, I wasn't back in Ohio, you know, when they, in the old form of county government. But I mean, I, I'm just surprised at how little time they give you to pay the bill. I mean, you get the bill and it's like maybe two weeks or three weeks at most. I, I didn't have that in Houston at all. We had like a month to six weeks to pay our bill. So I don't know what it yeah. was like under the former government where they gave you more lead time, but I... I felt like it was. They claim not, but I felt like you got your tax bill and there was a good six weeks before it was due. And I'm like you now that generally you get it and it's due almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just strange. It's I. It's it's the most basic of services, and yet they can't get it right. And I don't understand it. I'm. Uh, we've asked question after question, and we continue to get confusing answers and we're going to have to check out the case Layla was talking about because that one makes no sense at all. And, and you know, those are just the people getting the bills. So many of us have mortgages and have our mortgage companies pay our tax bills as part of our escrow um, every month. And I don't, you know, like I don't see it because it gets paid and then they tell me, oh, you didn't have enough money and we're going to have to up your mortgage payment every month. <laughs> so like I have no idea what my company is being told my tax bill is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they get two bills, which one do they pay? Right. Maybe both. You never <laughs> oh know. My God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I'm still tickled that Mike DeWine came out after we pointed out the lack of contrition in a couple of platforms this week and said, okay, okay, I regret appointing him knowing what I know now. And I credit to him for actually doing it. He didn't have to, but he did. That's it for the Thursday episode of Today in Ohio. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. Please come back Friday and we'll wrap up the week of news. 